Welcome to the FOI Equip podcast, your free resource for learning and engaging with the scriptures from a Jewish perspective. Hi, everybody. I'm Chris Katolka. You know, the scriptures tell the story of God's chosen people and his plan to bring salvation to the whole world through Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Come see why it matters that God would choose an ancient people to bring a timeless hope to a lost and broken world. Now, listen, I want to encourage you to go to foiequip.org to sign up to be on our mailing list. You're going to receive vital information on how you can join our free live online FOI Equip classes. Now get ready. Join our expert staff on the FOI Equip podcast as we teach the scriptures, unravel the colorful world of Jewish culture and customs, reveal God's prophetic plan, and so much more. Now enjoy this teaching from FOI Equip. Okay, so we had the 10 days of awe, which is what we're going through right now. And what I want to do is review last week. The seven feasts of Israel, the seven feasts of Israel take place in Leviticus 23. And I think I joked last week that uh, Leviticus is the book that your pages are still stuck together. But if yours isn't, that means you've been through it and you understand that Leviticus is, a, is really the basis of what the New Testament writer is going to give commentary on. And that's the book of Hebrews. Those two go together like a hand and a glove. And in Leviticus 23, God gives these uh, convocations, these holy convocations. And we talked about the, the fact that there's more than one new year and that the religious new year is Passover, the month of Nisan, and that the civil new year is Rosh Hashanah. And so as we go through these feasts, understand they were given to Israel and they tell a story. Passover really tells us a story about redemption. Uh, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. Unleavened bread teaches us about sanctification. Immediately, uh, when a believer gets saved, when a person gets saved, they become a believer and are transformed, sanctified, set apart. And we know that unleavened bread was when... Uh, one of the three days that Jewish men had to get to Jerusalem. So Passover immediately following is the seven days of unleavened bread, total of eight days. Then right after that uh, Passover on the third day of Passover is the first feast of first fruits, which is barley. And that's symbolic of resurrection. Uh, the Jewish people offered up barley. They offered up the first and the best. And they knew that more would follow. That's why in the New Testament, we read about Jesus being our first fruits. Then you count 50 days and you get to Shavuot, which uh, Shavuot is the birthday of the church. But it's also the time uh, agriculturally that the Jewish people offered up the first fruits of wheat. And then you wait till the fall feast. And that's where we come to the three that we're talking about. Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, and Tabernacles. So uh, we did Rosh Hashanah last week, and today we're going to do Yom Kippur, and Lord willing, next week we'll do Sukkot. So uh, let's look at the biblical aspects of uh, Yom Kippur. It is the sixth of seven observances. And it takes starts with Tishrei, the 10th. So first of Tishrei is Rosh Hashanah. 
the 10th is Yom Kippur. And the key passages uh, are in Leviticus 16 and in Leviticus 23. What, what is happening in those two chapters? In Leviticus 16, you have the specifics, the details, the specific details of what's involved in a biblical observance of Yom Kippur. First thing, blood, uh, shed blood. There's two goats that are going to be used in Leviticus 16, and they draw lots. So if you want to blame gambling, you really could blame it on God. It's kind of spiritual gambling where they um, drew lots, and the winner, I don't know who is the winner or who the loser is, because one of them became the sacrifice, so I suppose that goat would be the loser, but the winner, if you will, had the high priest symbolically place his hand on the head of that goat and took the sins of Israel onto the head of that goat. And that Azizel in Hebrew, that scapegoat is going to be ushered out of the camp. Now imagine, if you will, a uh, a goat being kicked out of the gathering and at first they they let it just they want they let it wander away but what happened what would happen is the goat would come back and so think about that all the sins of the nation of Israel on the goat and he turns around and comes back they don't want that so what they ended up doing is there was a cliff they walked the Azizel goat over the cliff uh but the the purpose of uh, yom kippur is first the high priest offers a sacrifice for his own sin in order to make him fit kosher if you will to be able to enter the holy of holies on behalf of the people and that's the key this was the day the day uh that the children of Israel would gather around first the tabernacle and later when the temple was built, they would gather around. There was nothing they could do. They just knew that the atonement, the kapura, would cover their sins. Uh, and that's what that's why they were observing. This was a time of offering for the sins of the nation of Israel. The um the biblical theme is redemption, atonement. And from a modern perspective, it's still the same thing. Atonement is the big word that is used. This is regarded as the holiest day of on the whole calendar. Uh, it's really not to be because if you remember, when you re read Leviticus 23, the first thing mentioned is not the first feast Passover. The first thing mentioned is Shabbat. And there are over 50 Shabbats, 52 Shabbats, if you will. And Shabbat is the day of rest. And Shabbat is regarded as a, uh, a queen, a holy day. And in fact, last week when we talked about Rosh Hashanah, in the text it says that Rosh Hashanah, 
the Feast of Trumpets should be regarded as a Shabbat, a holy set-apart day. But Yom Kippur is regarded as the most solemn of the high holy days, uh, and of course it's held in the fall. There is, uh, we want to first look at the biblical aspect and then uh, look at the rabbinical aspect. First, substitution. Uh, Yom Kippur, biblically, is the time for the animals, in this case the goats or the bull, uh, offered, die in the place of the individual and the nation. Uh, the, you could see those verses, uh, Leviticus 16 and verses 3 to 11, but the foundation verse is the one at the bottom, Leviticus 17 and verse 11. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes an atonement. The idea of substitution in modern Judaism is, for the majority of them, an anathema. The idea of blood, the idea of shedding of blood, is not something that modern Jewish people think about. And we'll talk about what they do uh, a, a little later. But uh, substitution biblically is really important. And so is sacrifice. The animal was slain at the altar. Its blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. And if you remember the, the uh, geography, if you will, or the topography of the temple, you have the, uh, the wall around the temple. You have the one entryway. You have the altar is the first place you go. The, the brazen, then the brazen laver, which follows. And then you go into the holy place and then the holy of holies. And so the high priest would wear unique clothes, special clothes outlined in the text. And he would um, sacrifice for himself and then for the people. The scapegoat, I already talked about the scapegoat, which a goat is sent away from the camp, and that symbolizes the people's sins being taken away. Uh, the idea on Yom Kippur, biblically, is to have your souls afflicted. And what does it mean by that? Does that mean they beat themselves up? No, that, that word carries the idea of humility. Uh, it's it's the idea that as such a solemn day that it is, the heaviness of sins, we are approaching a holy God. The, the atmosphere biblically around the temple was that, Lord, accept the sacrifice. We are sinners. We need atonement. And we're coming before you. There's nothing we can do. It's all up to you. Now, the rabbinical side. It's an interesting story. In fact, I used to hear this story every year in Hebrew school, uh, and it, it's extremely important as to whether it really happened or not. I'm not sure. I don't really know if it was a historical thing or if it was a made-up story, but it doesn't really matter because the story's results is the thing that stuck, and it's amazing how well it stuck. So, Here's the story. Uh, Yohanan ben Zakkai is standing next to his student, a younger student. The temple is by now, Jerusalem's aflame. The temple is burning. 
the rabbi and a student are overlooking the Temple Mount, probably from the Mount of Olives. And the student turns to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, our people are fleeing. The temple is on fire. What are we going to do? How will we atone for our sins? This this question, I still, and when you're, oh, in elementary school age is first time I heard it. What are we going to do? Our temple, our temple is the focal point of everything we do. And now the temple's destroyed. Our people are fleeing. And and we can't celebrate Rosh Hashanah. There's no sacrifice. What are we going to do? And so the rabbi said to the student, from now on, we will fast, we will pray, and we will give charity. So notice there's no temple to this day from 70 AD. There's a temple mount, and what's on the temple mount, of course, is the Dome of the Rock. And on the south side of the platform is the Alaska Mosque. There's no priesthood. Now, if you go to a, a synagogue today, you'll be able to talk to folks who believe, uh, handed down orally, that they are from a priestly background. Sometimes their name is Cohen or Levi or Levi. Uh, and although they can't prove it, uh, it has been a tradition to pass down uh, that particular tribe. Otherwise, there's no proof for any Jewish person to be to prove they're in any tribe of Israel because the records were all destroyed uh, when the temple was burned. So no temple, no priesthood, no sacrifice. And in the prof in the prophet Hosea, the verse in verse six of chapter six, it says, "For I desire loving kindness, and not sacrifices." And that is a foundational verse that is used as to why, in rabbinical Judaism, with no temple, no priesthood, no sacrifice, that they will say we don't need that anymore uh, today. We do it by fasting, by praying, and by giving charity. Fasting is uh, very important. It's uh, 26 hours. Um, the idea of fasting is the idea of affliction of your soul. It's the idea of humility. Uh, a big meal is served right before Yom Kippur comes. The family gets together. Uh, there's uh, a, a festive meal, candles are lit. But from then on, there is a humble spirit as for the next 26 hours, there, we're to do nothing that involves pleasure. It's all focused on a humility before God because the, uh, where we said at Rosh Hashanah, may your name be inscribed in the book of life. Remember, last week we talked about three books that are open. The Book of Life, the Book of Judgment, and the Book of Neither. And for the next 10 days, a period now that we're in, these 10 days of awe, uh, Jewish people are to be making sure that anybody they wronged, anything they did, that as they look and evaluate and take an audit of this last year, 
of what they did, now is the time to make it up because at Yom Kippur, they know that their name will be sealed in one of two books, either the Book of Life or the Book of Judgment. Uh, the wearing of the kittle. The kittle is a white robe. Very Orthodox Jews will wear this. Most, most Jewish people, most of the men do not. They'll dress up for synagogue appropriately. But for those who are very observant, the idea of wearing white, which carries the idea of purity and holiness and being set apart and a new beginning. Uh, the tradition of not wearing leather shoes. Leather at one time was a, a, a means of causing affliction uh, if you didn't wear leather. And so uh, leather was viewed as a pleasure, as a comfort. And so you weren't allowed to, to do that. You had to wear uh, sneakers. And if you ever saw... Uh, now today, I think it's stylish, but when I was a uh, youngster, if somebody was wearing a suit with sneakers or even um, uh, slippers, it looked crazy, but it was supposed to. The idea is humility. We're to, we're to be humble. Uh, we're to be contrite. We're to be uh, aware of the solemnity of this day. Uh, special services are held, uh, and especially, and probably the most um, notable, is the Kol Nidre. If you ever get a chance, I, I would jot down Kol Nidre. I'll leave the slide up. I would make sure you write that down and go to YouTube, type it in, and you'll hear the Kol Nidre. It's one of the most beautiful uh, uh, music. Uh, in Judaism, it's a well-known um, uh, uh, prayer, and it, what it really is is a telling of God that any promises that I might have given that I couldn't deliver on, I'm denouncing them beforehand, uh, annul them, so that it won't be held against me. And so it's a it's a liturgy. It, the cantor in the synagogue would be the one singing it. Uh, if you go online, you could hear somebody do it, and you could get the translation of it as well. I encourage you to do that. Uh, some of the most uh, famous old-time singers. Back when I was a child, my father's uh, favorite singer was a man named Al Jolson, whose father was a, a cantor, and he was a famous singer. He, he starred in the first talking movie. He, he gave a rendition of Kol Nidre. Then a little later, still old for some people who are watching this, Neil Diamond did a Kol Nidre. Uh, and it's uh, Jewish people who hear it in their synagogues on Yom Kippur. Many synagogues will hire professional singers, whether they're Jewish or not, to sing it because it brings such a warmth to them. It's a serious thing. So, cold uh, Nidre on Yom Kippur. Believe it or not, the book of Jonah is read. Um, the idea of forgiveness. If ever, if ever there was somebody who needed to be forgiven, it was Jonah who forever was trying to uh, hide from God, stay away from God. And even at the end, 
uh, it just didn't seem that he was uh, appreciative of what God did for him. But when you analyze the grace in which the Ninevites responded, it's an amazing story. Um, Jonah didn't want to preach to them, but he did. And we know how all that happened. But the Ninevites fasted, repented, and were forgiven. That's an interesting thing. The other thing that takes place on Yom Kippur is the Yisker service. And Yisker is a special prayer. It's I, I wrote down here for the dead. It's really not for the dead. Jewish people believe uh, that a person dies. If they believe in eternal life, they believe they're in the presence of God. There's no need to pray for the dead. But Yisker is a prayer that memorializes the dead. It is a, uh, a time that the congregation on Yom Kippur corporately praises God. And each person who stands up is remembering in their heart and mind the loved one that they lost. But corporately, they're memorializing those that have gone before them. And so uh, the idea of dead souls judged would be that small segment of Jewish people who believe in the what's called the Sepharim, the, the spirits, and it borders on New Age. That's a very small percentage. But Yisker for the majority of Jewish people is just a, a memorial to them and a corporate remembrance. Um, it is also right before Yom Kippur happens is the uh, custom, again, a very small percentage of Jewish people. I know it will happen in Brooklyn for sure. They'll go to a place where there are chickens, live chickens. They will choose a live chicken and they'll have a choquette. The choquette will uh, kosher that chicken by slicing its neck and they spin the chicken above their head and let the blood drip down. And what it is is a perversion of what the biblical Yom Kippur was, where the high priest and only the high priest would slay the the animal uh and apply the blood not upon himself but upon the four corners of the altar and then in the holy of holies my grandmother used to uh back when i was a child i went with her so she could do the kapora candles are lit before the onset of the holy day uh candles like at shabbat uh the idea of bringing in the light, the idea of a woman, particularly, that's her responsibility, a very important one. Um, uh, and when Yom Kippur ends, there's a breaking of the fast and there's a building, immediate beginning, a building for the tabernacle. So let me review the time for you. You have Rosh Hashanah. Feast of Trumpets, and on the first of Tishrei, you have 10 days of awe, those 10 days uh, trying to make things right, do as many good things as you can do. 
On the 10th is Yom Kippur. And, and uh, after Yom Kippur, five days later, is the Feast of Tabernacles. So Jewish people who are going to build their sukkah, which is what the tabernacle is called, they're going to start doing it right after Yom Kippur ends. Now, how does any of this, you know, you read Leviticus 16, you read uh, Leviticus 23, and you say, wait a minute, how, there's no temple. Uh, the Jewish people don't even believe in blood anymore. Why, why does it matter? What significance does this day have? Well, it has a profound uh, a profound meaning to the Jewish person. They take sin seriously. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe that uh, sin needs blood, but they take serious what it does teach. And so this day is set apart. This day is a day they, uh, they have a contrite heart. They are, there's a liturgy where they will pound their heart and say, for the sins which I have sinned before you. And then in the liturgy, it talks about who will live, who will die, who will be rich, who will be poor, who will uh, go to prison, and who will be blessed. And there's a whole listing of any number of possibilities of things that could happen in the coming year. And that's what it is. This this ceiling in the book is either, it's, it's only for the coming year. It's not for eternal life, but it is for the coming year. And so as we view this, we say, man, the Jewish people take this seriously. They're fasting, they're praying, they're, they're, they have a contrite heart. That's great. How do we look at it? Well, first of all, we know that Jesus, the Messiah, became our substitute. Uh, he's just like that goat. He's just like that animal. Through that innocent animal, uh, there's life, atonement. Well, according to Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ the Messiah died for us. So as we view Yom Kippur and see our Jewish friends celebrating this most holy day, we can say, wait a minute, Jesus became our substitute. He became our sacrifice as well. So he's a substitute. Uh, in other words, we're be judged for sin, but instead Jesus is judged for sin. Just like that goat took away the sin uh, or covered the sin of the people. So Jesus is our substitute and our sacrifice. Uh, just like the shed blood of the animals in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's a great verse. Uh, we have redemption in Christ. It's because of his shed blood. And we have forgiveness of sins. And so that's a that's an, one aspect. But he's also our scapegoat. Just like the goat that took the sins away, 
We're told in John chapter 1 and in verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you know, when uh, I came to Christ back in 1975, it was right around this time. It was in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the 10 days of awe. And it was during this time that I read in English for the first time, Isaiah chapter 53. And Isaiah 53 says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And let me turn, if you would, uh, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10 and starting in verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, Make those who approach perfect. I, I want to read further, but the first line, shadow of the good things to come. You know, I, from my perspective, I, I've heard when I first became a Christian and started to go to church, I often heard people uh, from the pulpit, even pastors say, oh, you know, the burden of the law. We're no longer burdened with the law and it was heavy on them. Well. It's, that's not wrong, but I, I think it misses something, and, and this verse restores that something, whatever it is, by saying it's a shadow of the good things to come. Remember, the law is holy, just, and good. There's nothing wrong with the law. There's a lot wrong with us. Uh, we're sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. We, uh, by ourselves, have no righteousness. In fact, the prophet Isaiah says, all our righteousness is, is as filthy rags. But the law having a shadow of the good things to come, for me at least, my understanding of the law and my effort to try it was instrumental in my coming to know Christ ultimately. And that would be year after year I tried to follow the law. 22 uh, Yom Kippur is really 21. Yom Kippur's uh, uh, from my teen, from my elementary school uh, years all the way through, I fasted every Yom Kippur and and believed that I was trying to atone for the sins which I had. And because I believe that once I heard and saw from the Older Testament text, the person and work of the Messiah of Israel and what he did for me, I said, well, oh, I don't. I can't possibly work my way to God. He paid the price. So for me, the law was a shadow of good things to come. And then in verse two, it says, for then would they not have ceased to be offered for the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifice, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats 
could take away sins. And then if you drop down to verse 11, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. I, these verses are so incredibly powerful. The contrast between Yom Kippur and, and for us as believers is that every year, as I celebrate, every year you celebrate, every year that you, uh, while the temple stood, there were sacrifices. And since there is no temple, every year we fast. Every year we, we afflict our souls. We are contrite. We are sad. Uh, and we confess our sins. But we never know. A Jewish person never knows if their good deeds have outdone their bad deeds. They have no idea. And what does it say here? The author of Hebrews says, look, at the time of the temple, every priest stood ministering daily. He offered repeatedly, time after time, the same sacrifices. They never took away sins. They atoned. They covered sins. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he offered one sacrifice, once and for all. What an amazing truth that is. Forever. And then he sat down at the right hand of God. So the primary significance of Yom Kippur for the Bible-believing Christians is that Jesus's death and resurrection ended the need for all blood sacrifices. And that's an amazing thing. So time after time, year after year, while the temple stood, the priests had knew what they had to do. The people gathered around. Then the temple's destroyed. And now the Jewish people know what they have to do. They have to fast. They have to pray. They have to uh, make sure they were sing along with Kol Nidre and disavow all the vows they took. Uh, Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua, took the sins, our sins, and paid for them once, as, once and for all. Our sins are forgiven as far as east is from the west. He provides eternal forgiveness and salvation as a gift. You know, it's by grace. We're saved through faith. This verse is, I, I remember reading it one of the first times, especially as a person who had tried so desperately to work my way to heaven, realizing there's no way I could do it. And here it says, for by grace, we're saved through faith. And it has nothing to do with us. Now, that's not always easy, especially for Americans. Uh, there's nothing we could do. It's by grace. We're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It is a gift, a free gift that God has given to us, lest any man should boast. And those words, to me, are the best words of all. Because one of the things I did on Yom Kippur I know this might sound strange, but I, I did it. Uh, when I was in Hebrew school and uh, during that time, I'd get to the synagogue and look for all the kids who were in my class. And the first thing that I asked them on, on Yom Kippur morning, did you brush your teeth? You see, you're not allowed to brush your teeth. You're not allowed to have any water in your mouth. You can't drink. You can't eat. 
And some of the kids would say, yep, I did. And I said, oh, you're in trouble. You're a sinner. You're not going to be atoned for. You're in big trouble. <laughs> Think about that. If, if heaven is filled with people who have done good works, they're going to spend their time bragging about whatever it is they did that was better than anybody else who was there. That's not heaven. That's being back on the earth. No, heaven is going to be a place where if we're there and we get there only through Christ, we could ask anybody in heaven, how'd you get here? And it'll be 100%. I'm here because of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only. I could not work my way. It's by his grace, his mercy, his sovereignty, his love that I am here today. And every testimony will be different how we came to Christ. But the only way we got to heaven was through Christ. So I have a different testimony than Chris has or Faith has or any of you have. They're all unique. We're all like snowflakes. Uh, there isn't any snowflake that looks alike, but it comes down as snow. And so all of us, uh, we all have a different story. But the bottom line is it's really his story through us. And so Yom Kippur is a day that if you have Jewish friends, oh, man, greet them. Say, I, I trust that you will be sealed in the book of life. Uh, may you have a wonderful year. Uh, may God bless you. Uh, and just say, I'm so thankful uh, for uh, the book of Leviticus and for the uh, information and knowledge that I gained from that passage in the Torah, and I trust you'll have a, a great new year. If you could say something like that to your Jewish friends, they, they won't believe how much you know, and they'll probably ask you, how, how do you know about that? And you could simply say, hey, I just read the scriptures, and I'm so thankful that my Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, has forgiven me and made not just atonement for me, but took my sins away as far as east is from the west. Heavenly Father, we pause right now during these 10 days of awe that are so important for so many Jewish people. We realize, Lord, that it's through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world, that we have assurance that no man can pluck us out of his hand if we trust completely and only in Jesus Christ. But for our Jewish friends who are so concerned about being sealed in the book of life at, on Yom Kippur, we pray for them. We pray, Lord, that those who are serious and thinking about sin and how to deal with it, that you will send the right person, the right message at the right time to communicate the good news to them just has been shared with me and each one at some point in their life. And so we ask, Lord, that this Yom Kippur might be the birthday for some Jewish or Gentile person as we pray in the name of our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to our FOI Equip podcast. Again, I want to remind you to go to foiequip.org and sign up to be on our mailing list. We'd love to see you at one of our free live online FOI Equip classes. 
Also, be sure to listen to our other podcasts like the Jew and Gentile podcast hosted by yours truly and Steve Herzig. Also, the Gesher podcast hosted by Ty Perry. You can find out more ways to get involved with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry by visiting foiequip.org. FOI Equip is an outreach of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide evangelical ministry proclaiming biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while bringing physical and spiritual comfort to the Jewish people. Hey, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon.